Hello, STEM Nation. Jeff here, and welcome to episode number 78 of STEM on Fire, where we interview practicing professionals in the area of science, technology, engineering, and math to help guide students interested in STEM careers. If you like what you hear, please share it with a friend. Now let's get fired up with our guest, Zoe, and I hope our chat will help ignite your passion towards a STEM career. Zoe earned a bachelor's degree in computer science from the Metropolitan State University of Denver and has had multiple positions along the way and is currently an engineering manager at Meetup. Welcome to the show, Zoe. Fill in any gaps and share a bit of your personal life. So that's that's a, a good synopsis. Um, a lot of what I've focused on over the years has been agile software development and ways to build large complex things uh, using, you know, like with teams of people in, in more effective and just kind of humane ways. Um, personally, I, I think about that a lot. And also I live in Brooklyn with my cat. All right. And Zoe, so you went for computer science versus computer engineering. Why did you chose computer science over computer engineering? A large part of that was actually just the degrees that were offered at my school um, at the Metropolitan State College of Denver. It was a college at the time. Um, it's very focused on getting uh, education that was usable immediately for, for a career, um, very job-oriented degrees. And so uh, computer science was an offering, and uh, as well was computer information technology. Um, but computer science was really the software engineering computer science um, with a mild electronics uh, introduction as well that was available. And so that was the thing that was really interesting to me, is to go into uh, making software and solving people's problems through software. All right. Thanks for that, Zoe. And I was looking through your LinkedIn profile. I'm looking at it right now. And I'm looking at the different companies that you've worked for in the past. And even, you know, working for Meetup today, you know, companies like ClickFox and Placeable and Tumblr and Pivotal, you know, those are not household names. And I think with computer science, a lot of these new companies that are coming about, they all require folks that know how to write software. And what really struck me is I looked at what you're doing at Tumblr. And I'm going to read this. So you were replacing elements of the PHP monolith with high-throughput, low-latency microservices, <laughs> you know, helping to build and service 50 million daily active users with a request frequency of 1 to 2 megahertz. Could you explain to STEM Nation what that really means? Right. So um, that's actually funny because uh, uh, overall, I was not very good at that job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, at that particular company, they had uh, written an early code base um, using using a very popular language for the mid two thousands programming language called PHP, and uh, as their as their user base grew, the code that they had written, the so the systems that they had created, was no longer able to keep up with with the number of people that were trying to access it. Um, particularly one of the problems that they were facing is that it was just very, very expensive because it was not efficient software. And so they found themselves having to buy more and more physical computers. Um, this is this is largely before most companies started shifting to the cloud. And so this is a case where it, it really was running on individual physical computers. And part of, part of um, the onboarding at that company was to take a trip from from New York City down to their data center in New Jersey to see like this is the room full of servers, uh, which is not a thing that a lot of companies of that type would have these days. And so 
one of the goals was to reduce that cost of ownership by taking this very, very large system written in this sort of older, less efficient language and moving it into newer technologies that were able to better make use of the computer system, the hardware resources that were available, and as well break it up from being one large code base into many small code bases that could be more easily changed. Uh, and a real standout was uh, of that is that Tumblr is um, a social media company. Uh, I might actually suggest that it's it's out of all of the places I've worked, it's the one that's closest to being a household name. Um, and as a social media company, you have lots of um, interactions that, that users will have. They'll be posting new things, they'll be uploading pictures, they'll be downloading pictures, they'll be scrolling their timeline and refreshing it all of the time. And so this this results in so many requests that it stops being sensible to measure them in in the number of, for instance, requests per minute, which is a really common kind of metric people might use to talk about how busy a system is. Uh, and so at that point, we started to measure them in actually how many requests per second or or cycles of request and response per second uh, you would have. And so, so this is a point we're talking about the actual megahertz of the request response cycle uh, was actually a sensible uh, thing to do. And so I helped with that team to, to take some of that uh, technology and update it to, to be able to handle uh, a, a number of requests, uh, an amount of traffic that really moved from one paradigm into another. All right. Thanks for that, Zoe. And moving on now to where you're now an engineering manager at Meetup. So are you continuing to write software? Are you managing software engineers? Or what do you do on a day-to-day -day basis? Yes, I actually write software quite a bit. Uh, I feel that it's very important for uh, particularly the first-line management in software to be practicing engineers at the same time. I view my role mostly as a coaching uh, role. And as opposed to a senior engineer who could definitely be, be seen as someone who coaches more junior engineers in how to do one thing and practice one skill or implement one particular piece of code. As an engineering manager, I view my role very strongly as coaching on a much longer term basis of coaching someone for a year, two years while they're at uh, this company, while they're in this role, and perhaps you know, setting them up for longer term success even after they move on. And so uh, I want to be definitely involved as a practicing engineer so that I can engage in that in-the-moment coaching, teaching new skills, but also so that I can really understand the problems that the people that I'm working with are facing and help them kind of craft longer-term goals and strategies to overcome those problems and grow as engineers themselves. Yeah, and Zoe, I like the fact that you said that, you know, as a manager, you're really acting as a coach. So, you know, kind of gone are the days of, you know, your, your boss coming in, your manager coming in and just, you know, grinding, grinding, grinding. It, it's really, you know, nowadays, the manager really is there to be a coach to help that person be successful. I agree, um, particularly in software, which is largely a creative pursuit, even as it's it's a very precise mathematical pursuit at the same time. Uh it's, it's a case where we've largely started to discover in many, many parts of the software industry that a top-down decision-making framework isn't as successful as a bottom-up one. 
the people who are writing the code are actually the ones who are most informed about the problems that are being faced, both by the technical challenges and the problems that the users themselves are experiencing, and can best formulate those those uh, solutions to those problems. And so, when we look at a management chain, it's a lot more responsible of us to give those people the information and support and power that they need to be able to make the best des uh, decisions for themselves and for the users. And so that's, that's exactly what I view. Like as a coach, that's really what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help them um, get the skills to succeed now and in the future at fulfilling our company's mission of solving user problems. Yeah, and STEM Nation, listen to what Zoe's saying and what other folks on the podcast have said is when you go off and get co-ops or internships is, is look at the environment that when you're there and see if that environment fits you. And if you're looking for that kind of coach mentality, see if that comes out from the company that you're working with or not, and then make those decisions on where you want to go to next. So thanks for that, Zoe. And Zoe, what is one thing that really has you fired up today? Oh, most recently, it's uh, really thinking about software architecture and the best ways to, or at least the better ways to determine how your software should be structured. This is a case where uh, Meetup, the company I'm at, is uh, relatively old in terms of software companies. It's, uh, it was founded in the early 2000s. And so it's another company that's really transitioning from a slightly more traditional way of constructing their software into a new way to match the newer cloud um, availability that's out there, as well as a growing user base that uh, is putting more demands on the system, and as well as just looking for more from Meetup's um, offering. And so how do we create the software in a way that's really healthy, that's really flexible, so that we don't have to stop and rebuild everything next time our situation changes. And I would imagine, Zoe, that it's pretty common now with some of the companies that software companies that have been around a while. Like you said, even at Tumblr, where you know the software that they design, it, it can't handle or couldn't handle the workload that was being presented to it, so things had to be re-architected. So I, I think the the availability of, of positions out there for a computer science person that understands how to write software for you know, on-premises, you know, data centers, as well as going to the cloud is going to be a career that's going to be in demand going forward. Could you expound upon that a little bit? Absolutely. I agree. Uh, a large part of that also is having a good amount of patience. Uh, I think one of the mistakes that we most often make when we discuss architecture is we rush to make a decision. Uh, if we can think about it, architecture has been described uh, in one way as the decisions that are difficult to take back. And so often we'll find that the best time to make those decisions is when we know the most information. And so people who are really successful at that, at, at that uh, architecture activity, at making those decisions that are difficult to take back, are the ones who tend to have the patience to learn the most, to wait until they really understand the landscape. Uh, and until it's essentially irresponsible to wait any further. And so that's something, it's not a, it's not a thing that people are born with. It is definitely a skill that we can focus and grow, but it's not one that is always emphasized. And so that's something that I spend a lot of time 
thinking about practicing in myself and helping the people around me uh, practice as well. It's just that patience to learn and see if we can, rather than making the decision, defer the decision in some way using some technique that increases our flexibility instead. So thanks for those insights, Zoe. And, you know, let's get some insights in getting through college. So what's some advice that you'd have for the students graduating high school, heading off to college, something that you think would help them be successful to get through what I will say are some pretty challenging degrees? From my experience, uh, one thing that I could definitely say is, is to have an idea of the value that you want to get out of it as you go through. Uh, I actually took two tries to go through college. Uh, the first time I went for musical theater, and I really, when I was there, I was I was very lost. I didn't really know that it was important to me. I didn't know why so much I wanted to focus on it, um, and that really really reflected. I across the board, I became very depressed, and and uh, eventually I left college. Um, that first try after the first year. And I didn't go back for five, six, six, seven years. But when I did, I really went back with a much broader understanding of why I wanted to go, what I wanted to do there. Um, not necessarily to say, oh, here's the career that I want, but an understanding more of why I felt it was important to do. And so um, I'm, I'm not a person who really advocates going straight from high school into college but rather do it when you really can understand uh, and find the value in it might be a better approach. Um, but then again, it's also difficult to find a job without a degree. And so sometimes that can be enough of a value for, for some people to succeed. All right. And so we, I want to I want to dig into that a little bit because, you know, you, you started off going for, for music and theater, which to me, I'll say that you're probably a, a pretty creative person because that typically is who would go for those type of degrees. And then you also mentioned before that, you know, computer science is is kind of like an art form. Um, how, how does the creative side in somebody come out through computer science? I think uh, it, is, it is, in fact, a very creative exercise. When you look at what computers can do, when you say the computer, and particularly computer software, is going to be my tool for solving problems, the boundaries become very, very immense. Uh, there are, for any particular problem, there are many, many ways of solving it from very basic things, um, such as the platform that we're going to use. Do we want to present this as a desktop application or a watch application? What is the best way to present that software? Through the tool choice, uh, right down to the individual. Each line of code is something that has never existed before. And you really need an imagination to know how it's going to fit in with all of the rest of the pieces. And so it, I feel it's, it's, it is, in fact, a very creative pursuit because you're constantly imagining what the future will look like and then working with a very, very broad tool set in order to make that future a reality. All right. Thanks for that, Zoe. And we're going to take a quick pause, and we're going to thank our sponsor, Audible, who's offering a free audiobook. You can head over to stemonfirebook.com. That's stemonfirebook.com to get a free audiobook of your choosing. If you decide to cancel within 30 days, there's no cost. 
and you keep the audiobook. And Zoe, it is lightning round time. Are you ready? Yes. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? I think I think it is definitely to have patience, um, to listen, essentially, and to give other people space to express themselves. If you do that, I've found at least that it's much easier to come to understandings with other people and to work together. And a personal habit that contributes to your success. Actually, I am a, am a uh, quite avid note taker. I use uh, two or three 500-page notebooks every year in taking notes about basically everything that I encounter in my professional life. And it's been super helpful just to be able to refer back to see what people said when to understand what was going on when we made those decisions and and kind of the um, why of it. Understanding why a decision was made is very, very helpful in the future when you're dealing with the ramifications of that decision. And a favorite internet resource or phone app and why? I'm actually very, very fond of the the webpage uh, LearnX in Y Minutes. I've had to work in quite a few different uh, programming languages over the time that I've that I've over the years. Uh, particularly when I was at Pivotal, that was a consulting role, and so I usually didn't get to choose what uh, programming language to use. And so LearnX and Y Minutes is a it's a cheat sheet for programming language syntax. There's, there's, I believe there's over 100 different programming languages on it. And each page is a really quick, here's how to write some code in this. And it's really useful to me. You know, STEM Nation, listen to that, because, you know, in college, when you're trying to pick up new languages, uh, never heard of that website, I'm going to go check it out, and it will be in the show notes. And Zoe, if you had to pick one book to recommend, what would it be? There's, I think there's one book that's helped me in my software career more than any other one. It is the book by Michael Feathers, Working Effectively with Legacy Code. And he gives a really simple philosophy of how to take code that um, is already written, code that has maybe been there for years, has been changed for years, hasn't necessarily been maintained in the most healthy ways, and how to turn that back into really vibrant, flexible, like alive software that is easy to change and own in the future. And... Quite honestly, for people who are writing computer software, that code, that legacy code that's been there for a long time, that's the majority of what you're going to be using because every day you write some code and in another month or two, that's your legacy. That's the decisions of the past that you're, you're having to deal with every day and knowing how to turn it back into fresh code that is easy to use has been very, very valuable to me. Yeah, and I agree with that, Zoe. And I, I work with software engineers, and the amount of legacy code is enormous, and you're always going to be working with it. Mm-hmm. And as we wrap up here, Zoe, could you share a parting piece of guidance for STEM Nation, and then we will say goodbye. A thing that, that has really helped me succeed in my career as a technologist is is to understand that the technology problems we, we, under, we, uh, we face every day and the things that we deal with and try to solve, we wouldn't be doing those if they were simple problems. Instead, they're very, very complex. They're usually much, much too complex for a single person to understand and, and create a solution for all by themselves. And so focusing on those human elements of how to work better with people has been 
a very, very important part of my growth and success in software. All right. Thanks for that, Zoe. And with that, we will say goodbye. I hope you enjoyed that chat today with Zoe. You can head over to stemonfire.com, subscribe to the email list to keep up with the latest happenings, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player and share it with a friend. Tune in next where we could talk with Brandon, who is a data scientist at Facebook. Until next time, I hope this chat has helped ignite your passion in STEM.